you're experiencing imposter syndrome, then guess what? You are growing. You are in an environment where you don't have all the answers. You haven't done it before. And what a beautiful opportunity to learn and grow and to prove, not to others, but to prove to yourself that you are capable. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. In today's episode, we're going to take a slightly different spin. I'm experimenting with different ways of doing this this podcast. And one of the things I'm realizing is really resonating with all of you is when we take a guest and get them to teach a really specific, instantly applicable idea or skill, not just an interview. I mean, interviews are nice when we have people like Matthew McConaughey, super celebrities, because it's always fascinating to know about their lives. But when we have a personal growth leader, it is really beneficial to everyone listening when we can get that teacher, that mentor, that trainer to share a directly applicable idea that you can take home with you. And that's what we're going to do today. I have a remarkable woman sitting in front of me. I'll be introducing her shortly. But first, let me tell you about the topic. In today's podcast episode, you're going to be learning three simple strategies to help you ditch imposter syndrome, boost your confidence at work, and thereby supercharge your life. So let me repeat, beat imposter syndrome, because that hits so many of us, boost your confidence at work, and thus supercharge your life. Obviously, when you're thriving at work, you're thriving at life. Work is 70% of our waking hours. Work is what gives us the money, the finances to fuel living. And when our work is supercharged, our entire life is magnified from it. But so many of us fail to truly achieve our potential at work because of self-doubt, lack of confidence, and that gnawing feeling of imposter syndrome. So today, I'm so excited to have Shade Zarai joining me. And I'm going to introduce Shade in a moment. But first, I want to welcome her on the screen. Shade, welcome from Brisbane, Australia. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I just wanted to comment to all of you who are watching this on YouTube. Shade and I were talking earlier and we were saying it is so wonderful to be living in a world where Shade can beam in from tomorrow. It's 1 a.m. in Australia. And look at how crystal clear she sounds and looks. So Shade, firstly, kudos to your mic setup. I think that's your husband who did that, yes. right? <laughs> yes. You married well. Yeah. Now, oh, uh, thank you. I picked him for that reason, actually. <laughs> So my lighting is all messed up. You can tell I'm single because I don't have a woman, a brilliant <laughs> woman helping me with my lighting. Your lighting uh, actually looks exceptional. So I don't know what you're talking about. Thank you. It's called an open window. It's a secret oh, technology. The best. Back, dating the back best. to the medieval era. So Shade, before I bring you on with your incredible accent, I got to say that accent makes me mad. <laughs> I need to read your bio because it is exceptional. So Shade is known as a self-mastery expert. Her strategies have helped people and companies do their best work by putting emotional intelligence and humanness at the core. She's been featured in Red Table Talk, in Vice, in Adweek, in the New York Times, Yahoo Finance. And get this, she's not just a remarkable brain. She's got a remarkable talent as well. She's a three-time Australian champion Latin dancer. 
And she has a PhD in leadership and career performance. And as I'm reading this, I'm starting to feel really inadequate. Shade. <laughs> well, I don't yet have the PhD, actually. I'm in the process of getting that one. Well, I got rejected from graduate school. So I will. So <laughs> But look at you now. So who cares, right? So the next thing is she's got a million followers on TikTok. Any dance videos on your TikTok channel? One. One, it didn't go so well. When I was just starting out, actually, it's a story I'll share, but when I was just starting out on TikTok, I thought that I had to do the viral dances. So I have one like right at the beginning and it was just so embarrassing. I mean, it's not difficult for me to do those dances given my background, but I felt like it just was not me. And thankfully it was the first and the last time I ever did that. I found a different approach, which worked really well. It's so wonderful to see an actual professional dancer on TikTok. I'm not done yet. You have this amazing bio. Shade runs Influence Global Inc., a leadership development consulting and research firm across the globe, including with clients, including McDonald's, Microsoft, Procter and Gamble, JP Morgan. She's a leadership alchemist who translates the latest in neuroscience and psychology research into practical and actionable training. And now I've come to the section of your awards and accolades. So I'm just going to read through this named Mentor of the Year in the 2019 Women in Financial Services Award, finalist in the prestigious Telstra Women in Business Award, finalist in the Women in Finance Award, a future Business Council Scholar, a Westpac Woman of Influence 2016. So all in all, all of you listening, we need to be really honored that this remarkable gifted mind is in front of us. We're not going to see her Latin dance, but we are going to hear her wisdom on how to defeat imposter syndrome, boost our confidence, and crush it at work. Shade, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Thank you, Vision. It is such a pleasure to be here. And I want to say I'm humbled that people have made the time to tune in and actually want to invest in themselves, want to invest in their development, because I'm so passionate about personal growth. Now, I think it's worthwhile starting with why I do what I do, and then that will lead us into these strategies and these tools that we can all apply. Sounds so I spent great. 10 years in corporate, in the workforce, And I was meeting people at all levels, and I noticed a distinct difference in how people experienced their life at work. So mainly I came to learn that so many of them are miserable. So many people at work hate what they're doing. They don't enjoy what they're doing. They don't enjoy their co-workers or the, the nature of the role. So they're very, very unhappy. And if you think about it, the average person begins working at age 21 and retires at, say, age 65. So that's a career that spans around 44 years. And if we assume a 40-hour working week, that's over 91,000 hours. That's a lot of hours to be miserable. And so I was thinking, what is going on? How can so many people just be doing this every day? And since then, through working with organizations globally and looking into a lot of the research on human behavior and psychology, we've come to understand that there's something going on here. And this golden nugget, if you like, of what's going on can be a complete game changer in your career and in your life. And it impacts your happiness, your fulfillment, and ultimately your success. So the first piece that I want to talk about, which relates to these three principles to be able to apply, you know, I could sit here and just give you these three supercharged hacks, which is what we all want. A lot of people just want it right here and now. But we know that it's not just about having the hacks. You need to understand the why and the how. So that's what we're going to start with. So my question to all of you is, how do you view yourself? Not how you want other people to see you, but how do you actually see yourself when you get to the core of it? Do you view yourself in a positive way? Do you believe that you have inherent value? Do you believe that you can achieve your goals? Do you feel like you're in control of the direction of your life? Or do you feel powerless? Do you feel like life just happens to you? 
Do you feel like you don't have an ability to influence what's happening? Do you doubt your abilities? Do you experience imposter syndrome? Do you believe that you aren't inherently of value? Do you struggle with self-worth? Now, all of these questions, these fundamental questions are captured in something called your self-concept. And this is your concept for yourself. And this is what I'm researching as part of my PhD. And it's actually a specific construct within that realm of self-concept. It's called core self-evaluations, which was initially researched by judge and colleagues. But this concept of core self-evaluations is so incredibly powerful because, and it's so simple, it's how you evaluate yourself. It's the fundamental premise that an individual holds about themselves and how they function in the world. So it captures how you cognitively appraise situations, which means how you interpret what happens in the world around you, and then how you react to those interpretations. So you can see how this idea of core self-evaluations really impacts our experience of our lives. And you might be wondering, okay, so core self-evaluations, what does that actually include? Because it's still not a tangible concept. So I want to share with you these four traits that contribute to core self-evaluations, which underscore and underlie things like the imposter syndrome you might be facing, the lack of confidence, the self-doubt. So the first trait, what do you think the first trait could be when it comes to how you see yourself? Now, a lot of people would bring it down to this idea of, well, do I value myself? Do I like who I am? Do I respect who I am? And so that first trait is all around that. It's fundamentally your self-esteem. This is the overall value that you place on yourself as a person. So Shadi, your, yes. you're saying self-esteem is the first trait, the first predictor of our success at work? They're not necessarily in any order. With these four traits, you almost view it like a Venn diagram. Uh -huh. And when they come together, they converge in the center. And right. that's the core self-evaluations place. I uh -huh. generally find self-esteem, personally, I think self-esteem is the basis of everything. I see. And self-esteem, how is that different from self-love? Is it essentially the same thing? Good question. Now, I think there's a, there's a risk with language of self-love because some people view that as the authority to be selfish in the sense that I'm going to be selfish and put me first to everyone else's detriment. And so we, we want to move away from that association of self-love with selfishness and I am more important than you because it links to ego. But if your view of self-love is, hey, I genuinely love who I am and the value that I bring, then it's very closely linked. It's also closely linked to self-worth. Like, how valuable, like, how worthy you feel you are. I really appreciate that distinction. Let's go on to the others. So that's where we start. We start with our self-esteem. The thing with self-esteem is you need to be aware it's important because think about if you're a business owner, if you're working as an employee, if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a high self-esteem, you're more likely to take on new opportunities, respond positively in the face of failure, bounce back when something doesn't work well, respond positively when unexpected things come your way. So really powerful. Now, the second trait or the next one is related to whether you believe that you can achieve your goals. And so this concept, it's called self-efficacy. It was introduced by Albert Bandura in 1982. It's defined as your judgments about how well you can execute what you need to execute. So do you believe that you can actually achieve what you need to achieve? And the interesting link here with imposter syndrome is that what we find, people who experience imposter syndrome, let's define imposter syndrome first, because we throw this term around a lot, we hear it a lot, but there's a very specific definition when we look to the research. And to experience imposter syndrome means that you feel undeserving 
of your prior successes and undeserving of prior achievements in spite of a track record of performance. So you don't believe you deserve to be where you are, but if you objectively look at what you've achieved, you've achieved amazing things. So the distinction is some people just think if I'm in a position that I've never been in before and I'm feeling uncertain, then that's imposter syndrome. That might just be self-doubt. And so we actually need to be really careful how we're interpreting and defining something because some of us will use, I feel like an imposter as an excuse to hold themselves back. I couldn't say yes because I had imposter syndrome. So we almost use it as this fallback to make ourselves feel better for not taking an action when actually that just might've been self-doubt. And that's about changing the relationship that we have with that. So that's the, the link with imposter syndrome. When it comes to this, this is the belief that we can actually achieve what we need to achieve. And you need to be asking yourself things like, how much success have I had in the past? How well am I able to just bounce back when things don't go well? And that doesn't mean you'll succeed on the first go, but it's knowing that even if something doesn't work out, I can bounce back, I can learn, I can try something new. So it's, it's this agentic quality, believing that you can do stuff. And it's closely linked. Did you have something to share, Vision? No, I'm just listening. Taking <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> That's what we want. So that trait then closely links into something else. Living your life, being successful, being happy, it requires you to believe that you have control over things in your life. It requires you to believe that you have control over at least what's going on in your mind, your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions. And this is called an internal locus of control. The belief that you can control a lot of things, not everything, because we know things come out of the blue. No one could have controlled the pandemic last year or what was happening to us. We can't control uncertainty, but it's this strong link between, yes, I believe that I have the power to make things happen. And again, really strong link here with imposter syndrome, because imposter syndrome is the belief that you are undeserving of success and therefore don't deserve to be where you are, which is denying the fact that you have achieved things in the past. You have demonstrated your value, your worth, your abilities. You need to remind yourself of that. You had a part to play in that. Right. Didn't just happen by chance. So there's this constant oh. reminder of, okay, who am I? What have I achieved? What was the effort I applied to achieve it? So what do we call that? So you said the first one was self-esteem and you mentioned self-esteem different from self-love. And what is the second? The second one was self-efficacy, self you know, the belief that you can achieve stuff. Mm -hmm. This one is called an internal locus of control. Okay. And the opposite, because it helps to understand what the opposite is. The opposite is an external locus of control where you feel like you don't have control. Mm -hmm. Things are just happening to you. Things happen because of others, luck or timing. I don't have control. My life is so difficult. You develop this real victimized mentality, which we know is not empowering. So the fundamental question for this trait is, do you focus on the things that you can control? Do you feel like you have control over your thoughts, your behaviors, your life outcomes? And again, it doesn't mean that everything will magically work out for you, but you focus on what you can do. Mm -hmm. And here's an example of this one in action. So let's say you're in the Olympics and you win a medal. Do you think that you would be happier if you won silver? or if you won bronze. Now, most people would think if you win silver, you're coming second, you'd be happier than if you came third. But studies have consistently found that bronze medalists are happier than silver medalists in competition in Olympic events. Why is this happening? Well, one explanation which came out of a 2020 study was that those who win silver, they tend to look upwards 
comparing themselves above and thinking, I could have won gold. I wish I placed first. And this is called upward counterfactual thinking. And you can imagine it leads to less satisfaction and more disappointment. Whereas bronze medalists, they compared themselves downwards and they thought, I almost placed fourth. I am so happy I won a medal. And you can imagine they're happier as a result. So the takeout here with this trait is to ask yourself, what am I focused on and how does that impact my success and my happiness? Just want to say, I love that analogy. So when you're looking it's great, down, isn't it? Is that called downward counterfactual thinking? Essentially, yes. So the premise is, yeah, are you looking at how far you've come? Or are you just focused on, okay, I'm here and I wish I was there and I'm going to make myself feel inadequate? Right. It's so powerful. And I love that analogy too, because how many times do we see this happening? Whether we've fallen into that trap of social comparison, comparison with others, I can't do what they're doing because they've been doing it longer than I have, or they have something that I don't. And yet we forget to look at, well, look at how far I have come. Look at what I've achieved. Look at the value I bring. Right. So this piece is celebrating the value we bring, celebrating our uniqueness. And that doesn't mean that we lose our passion or our drive because some people say, oh, but comparing upwards motivates me. But the danger with always comparing upwards is then you set yourself this goal and then you might achieve the goal and then you suddenly don't feel as happy as you thought you would. And then you think, okay, well, what's the next goal? And you continually become goal acclimatized where you're not experiencing the dopamine hits that come from the goals anymore. So we spoke about these four intersecting circles. So the first is self-esteem. The second is self-efficacy. Yes. The third is the internal locus of control. And what is the fourth? The fourth one. Now we move on to the fourth. And this is a really interesting one. This is simply, it's emotional stability, or they call it low neuroticism. And it's just your ability to emotionally self-regulate. Because think about when you're experiencing something like imposter syndrome, lack of confidence, self-doubt, how are you feeling? You're embodying a certain emotional state. And so your ability to be able to navigate through that is what makes the difference. Mm. In addition to the other traits, of course. So it's acknowledging what you feel in a given moment. Psychologist Dan Siegel coined it or coined a phrase, name it to tame it. There's power in simply acknowledging what you feel, especially if it's more of these unpleasant emotions. And actually, Vishen, you had a fantastic podcast episode where you talked about emotion. And I think you referred to Lisa Feldman Barrett's book about how emotions are simply a combination of physiological arousal. So you feel something on your body, either high intensity, low intensity energy, and either pleasant or unpleasant. And then the brain cognitively labels what that is. Exactly. And then that determines what we do. Yeah, the theory this, of learned emotions. It says yes. what we are feeling and the emotion is really a label that we give it. And that label is endowed upon us by our culture, by our upbringing. So Germans have a different set or different menu of emotions to choose from than the Finnish people and the Japanese people and the Americans. It's fascinating, isn't it? It would be amazing to look at how they experience things differently because of the different labels that they place on these. The power of language. So, you know, with this trait, this is all about asking yourself, okay, how comfortable am I with identifying what I'm feeling in a given moment? And then the next step is to ask yourself, is this state serving me or is it hindering me? If it's serving you, great, stay there. If it's hindering you, what action will you take? Which links us back into your locus of control. Do you believe that you can do anything here? And what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. 
So these four traits, you know, what I love about human behavior and psychology and behavioral science, we're going back to basics. You know, we're humans, we're fundamentally social creatures. We, we have a disposition to want to grow and to progress and a desire to fit in and be loved and belong. So you can see how simply these traits fit in, but how important they could be for us when it comes to confidence and overcoming the things that keep us stagnant and stuck. Now, very quickly, if you have a high core self-evaluation, so these are just the traits within core self-evaluations, right? If you have a high core self-evaluation, you are more likely to apply for challenging roles. You're better at receiving and implementing feedback. You don't get knocked down as much when faced with failure. You focus on action rather than the opposite, which is called ruminative brooding. You get stuck in negative thoughts and stagnate. And I'm guessing that this is also how you overcome imposter syndrome and boost your confidence. Absolutely. Got it. So the very, this brings us to the first strategy or the first simple hack. It's to ask yourself, based on these four traits, so very quickly, self-esteem, do you value yourself? Self-efficacy, do you believe that you can actually achieve your goals? Doesn't have to be on the first time, but that you will get there. Internal locus of control, do you feel like you have a degree of control over your thoughts, over your life, and your ability to emotionally regulate? Ask yourself, how do you fare on each of those? And if there's one you need to develop and work on, identify what it is and take action. Very quickly, the, the self-esteem piece is what I find a lot of people struggle with. And the fact of the matter is, this sense of self-esteem, our sense of self-worth was largely developed in the first seven years of our lives mm -hmm. based on our relationships with our primary caregivers and our parents. And so we didn't choose which family we were born into, which environment we were in, which culture, which society conditioned us. That just happened by chance. But we have to then deal with the aftermath of that as adults. So we need to acknowledge that happened, but it doesn't mean we can't change. It doesn't mean we can't take control now and take action. And it's again, reminding yourself that you can be empowered here. So that's the first piece I wanted to cover. So we're looking, our ability to truly thrive at work is the intersection of four circles, self-esteem, self-efficacy, which is basically the belief that based on your past accomplishments, you can achieve your goals. The third is your internal locus of control, which is the degree of control you believe you have over your life, your day, your thoughts. And the fourth one is emotional stability, the ability to self-regulate your emotions. When all of this comes together, what you have is a high core self-evaluation. And that's exactly right. And to understand where we are in this core self-evaluation scale, the first strategy is to ask ourselves four questions. Do you value yourself? Because that indicates self-esteem. Can you achieve your goals? Because that indicates self-efficacy. Do you have control over your life, your thoughts? Because that indicates your locus of control. And finally, can you emotionally self-regulate? So these four questions help us understand where we are in terms of our core self-evaluation. Is that a good summary? Beautiful summary. You did such a good job. And you know, one thing worth noting is with that self-efficacy part, so trait number two, it's very easy for someone who doesn't necessarily believe in themselves. It's very easy for someone to say, well, I've never done this before. I don't have a track record in this area. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't have the belief that I can do it. So a really great little reframe here is don't think about achievements in terms of outcomes. Don't think of them of what you achieved by way of I delivered this or I got here. 
think of it in terms of the effort you applied, the effort, the skills, and the strengths that you applied in the past. And then ask yourself, can I apply them again in the future? Will they help me in this current environment? And I can guarantee you will find a way to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And that reminds you that you have what it takes. And it can be a really great antidote to imposter syndrome. The other piece actually relating to imposter syndrome that I'll just throw in now, there's this big push around how imposter syndrome is negative. It's terrible. We never, ever want it. But I was listening to a podcast recently with Adam Grant, psychologist Adam Grant, and he had this really unique perspective and I love it. He said, redefine your relationship with imposter syndrome to view it as something that motivates you. Because if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, then guess what? You are growing. You are in an environment where you don't have all the answers. You haven't done it before. And what a beautiful opportunity to learn and grow and to prove not to others, but to prove to yourself that you are capable. And I loved that. I thought that was such a beautiful mental reframe because I'll tell you this much. I don't think imposter syndrome, for a lot of people, I don't think it ever really disappears. You just learn to change your relationship with it. Exactly. I experience it sometimes. And I thought at a certain point it goes away. It doesn't. (laughs) It never goes away. And And that's a good thing. And why it happens, why it happens, even to someone like me who's made it to the CEO level in my work designation, is upward counterfactual thinking. I compare myself to other CEOs and go, damn it, their business is growing faster than mine. And it's funny, it's, it's not something that you ever come out of unless, unless you've truly mastered all of these principles together. And I'm doing my best to get there, but I don't think I'm completely there yet. We're all doing our best. It's a yeah. lifelong journey, I think. Every, every step of the way, we're just looking at improving and growing. And so that was the first principle. What is the second? The second principle is all around how every day we are actually constructing our reality. We construct our reality, we construct our world based on the stories that we tell ourselves. And so let me explain this with a little story. So someone I used to work with, who I know very, very well, he's exceptional and highly talented, and yet I noticed that he has a real tendency to complain. There's always something wrong. Too much work, not enough work, overcommitted, life is so much harder than everyone else's. And this was his constant narrative to the point that I actually stopped asking him how he was. Because whenever I would ask, it would trigger this monologue of how challenging his life was. And after initially trying to gear him towards other things like, what are you looking forward to on the weekend? It would always return to the same story somehow of how he's such a victim and life is so difficult. And I couldn't imagine, you know, I was feeling exhausted hearing these stories constantly, but I couldn't help think about how exhausting it would be for him because his life actually sounded horrendous. But the more that I got to know him, the more I realized that his approach of focusing on everything wrong was something that permeated so many areas of his life. It was actually how he explained the world. He was the ultimate victim and the world was against him, at least in his mind. And it got me thinking, this person who seemingly led a beautiful, wonderful life, he had a a loving wife, beautiful kids, a great job. He couldn't be happy because something was always missing. And then I thought, how is it possible that others who have objectively very challenging lives, health complications, they lost everything, terrible divorces, how is it possible that some of these people were so positive? They had a way of explaining every bad situation as something that helped them grow, 
as part of the suffering that they needed, a life test to teach them something new, to become better and a stronger version of themselves. So what was going on here? And it was almost like in my mind, I was thinking these two people are authors of their life story, which let's face it, we all are. One was writing a doom and gloom story and the other was writing about triumph through crisis. And it was only recently that I came across a concept from psychology professor, Dr. Dan McAdams and his theory of narrative identity that things actually fell into place for me. Now, the interesting part about this theory of narrative identity, which oops, I'll explain is this second principle. People who believe that their lives are meaningful tend to tell stories defined by growth and hope. And these are called redemptive stories. But those who aren't able to move on and who have become their experiences, so their sense of self becomes intertwined with their negative life events, they tend to tell what's called contamination stories. So their stories are contaminated by how difficult and tragic their lives are. And this is what I was seeing with this guy I used to work with. So for everyone listening, think about that last failure that you experienced or the last negative experience, a rejection, negative feedback, a business idea crumbling, a relationship ending badly, whatever it is for you, what story are you telling yourself and others about that? Are you focusing on how wronged you are? Or are you actually focusing on what you learned, how it made you stronger? Because your ability to redefine and rewrite your life story, these stories that you tell yourself, ultimately impacts the quality of your life and what you're able to achieve. And the great news is, if you find that you tend to write contamination stories, because let's face it, us humans have a negativity bias that predisposes us to focus on the negative and catastrophize. Although I would argue that if you're listening to this, if you're part of the Mind Valley community, you're already on that journey of growth. But if you do notice that you have a tendency to do this or you have done this, the good news is that you can make edits to your personal narrative and it can have a huge impact on your life. So it's not about denying what happened because some people think, oh, well, this is like toxic positivity, denying all the bad things that are going on. This is not that at all. It's simply redefining how you perceive what happened. So you, you've got reality as to what actually happened. You're just redefining it. And it links back to your cognitive appraisal and things like your self-efficacy, your locus of control, mm -hmm. your self-esteem, because you can rewrite these stories so that those don't suffer. Now, the other quick thing worth being aware of here is you also might unintentionally manipulate your memories in such a way that you protect your self-image. And that's why it's always easier to look back and think, I always knew deep down something wasn't right, or there were so many red flags, when objectively there actually weren't. And this links back to your self-concept or your core self-evaluations, because when you believe that you are inherently worthy, you believe that you're worthy of success. You believe that you're worthy of happiness. You deserve that. And so you will seek that. Whereas if you lack self-esteem, if you have low self-worth, you don't believe you're deserving of happiness and you, your mind unintentionally sabotages relationships and potentially even your success. And this is why it all comes down to how do you see yourself? So it has a huge bearing on our lives, on how we feel, on whether we're ready to take on a new opportunity, say yes to something, or whether we get stuck in our minds. And what do you call this second principle? I just call this rewriting your life story. So Re it's, you know, it's again, Write your life story. By the way, you and know, the I, I love it. I just want to say, I love it when I'm listening to a guest and what they are saying connects so beautifully 
and it's so structured that I'm compelled to take notes. And I'm going to take <laughs> notes on this podcast. And for those of you who are listening, I'm going to be sharing it on our Mind Valley Insights platform. It's free. It's into the public. Uh, so just search for Zarai, Z-A-H-R-A-I, Shade's last name, and you'll you'll find a summary with all of the notes. So you don't have to, if you're driving, don't worry about scribbling everything down. We'll take it. Hey, please don't. <laughs> and we'll put it on insights.mindvalley.com. Just search for Zarai and you will see it. So the first principle is to ask yourself the questions that help you evaluate your core self-evaluation. Okay, do you value yourself? Can you achieve your goals? Do you have control over your life and thoughts? Can you emotionally self-regulate? And then the second principle is to rewrite your life story to see yourself as a creator of your story and not a victim of that story. What have you found to be some of the best approaches or seminars or books that can teach someone to truly master the art of rewriting their life story? Yeah, really great question. I look to the research. So I have a look at a lot of the journal articles, which essentially cover, you know, I've summarized them in terms of books, you know, let me have a think about that. And I'll come back to you if I can have any recommendations, but simply the way to think about it. And this is what I think everyone should be doing every single week. I think that you need to be, and I say you as in, you know, anyone tuning in right now, you need to be thinking about, okay, how can I make time book time with the most important person in my life? Hint, that's you. How can I make time with me to remove distraction and just be alone with my thoughts and actually reflect on my life experiences. Because how often do we stop when we take time to think about our goals? We think about where we're going. We very rarely stop and reflect on where we've been. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first step is take a moment to think about these major life events. The other thing is we tend to only remember the events that are associated with strong emotions, joy, pain. They're the ones that become etched into our minds. So go back to those experiences, see if there's others you can recall and ask yourself, how have I defined these? What is my takeout from these? And consciously rewrite that story to focus on your growth, focus on your learning, focus on how you became stronger, how you overcame that challenge, because you're reminding yourself of your strength, which means you then take that with you going forward. Right. So again, I like that. Again, I like, I like simple, that idea of reminding yourself. I call it the conscious refresh. Nice. So I've got two terms. I've got the CT. We want to break out of the CT. The CT is the comparison trap, this constant upward counterfactual thinking. While I think having role models is fantastic, having people to aspire to be like is great. When we fixate on the gap between where we are and where they are and feel like we are inadequate, that is dangerous. We want to be inspired and empowered, not feel like we're inadequate. That's the comparison trap breaking out of that. And yeah, the conscious refresh is consciously refreshing your mind as to your achievements, your past, your successes, your even the times that didn't work out. I don't like to use the word failure because it has so much baggage, but you learn the most through your greatest failures. And, you know, I have a lot of people asking me, what is your greatest failure? And I can't tell them because I have never defined a failure as a failure. So in my mind, I don't have this list of, oh, well, there are 10 of them. And I actually can't find them simply because of how I've chosen to write my story. So it's something everyone has the power to do. I've noticed that many incredible performers view the world like that. I remember being in a a mastermind with Richard Branson on Necker Island. This was way back in like 2009. And one of the other guests in the mastermind asked Richard, you're always so excited and happy 
what do you do during the sad times? And Richard thought about it. And then he replied, you know, I never can remember the sad moments in my life. I only remember the good ones. Beautiful. And that demonstrates his ability to have rewritten his stories in the way that serves him. Let's go to principle number three, and then we're going to take principle. some questions from the audience. Fabulous. I'm excited to connect with the audience. So principle number three relates to the inner critic and the ego and how these can dominate when we have a negative self-view, when we have what we call a maladaptive core self-evaluation. But first, there's this really beautiful Cherokee legend that I want to share. It's about an elderly grandfather who tells his grandson about life. And I want to share it here because it, I'll summarize it, but it helps us understand the dual nature that we all have. So the grandfather says to his grandson, within all of us, there is a battle of two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, jealousy, regret, greed, arrogance, superiority, and ego. He continues, the other wolf is good. He is joy, love, hope, humility, kindness, generosity, truth, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too, explained the wise Cherokee elder. The grandson thought about it for a moment and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the grandfather simply replied, the one you feed. And I love this story because I love the simplicity about how we have a higher and a lower nature, these two wolves. So our lower nature, this evil wolf, this is the ego, the inner critics. It's what makes us feel resentment, jealousy, greed. It's all about instant gratification, being better than others. And it tries to protect us. And this is a really interesting element. The ego, the inner critics try to protect us, or they think they're protecting us. And how they do this is by considering failure to be catastrophic. So it convinces you that you're not good enough. You're not ready. You don't have what it takes so that you don't take action because then you're safe from failure, but you're also stuck. You're stagnant and you're not giving yourself opportunities to grow. So that's our lower nature, our ego. It's all about the here and now. It's very physical. Now, on the other hand, this good wolf, this higher nature or the enlightened soul, as some refer to it, this is the one that transcends this physical existence. It allows us to connect to our higher purpose, the reason that we're here. It rises above the pettiness of the material world. It's what can remind the lower nature, the ego, that there is more to life than beating the competition or making the most money. There's more to life than lusting over what someone else has and keeping ourselves miserable as a result. So an important concept to be aware of here, and this is how I like to see it, and it comes from the Baha'i writings, evil is non-existent. It is the absence of good. Sickness is the loss of health. Poverty, the lack of riches. When wealth disappears, you are poor. Without knowledge, there is ignorance. Therefore, ignorance is simply the lack of knowledge. Death is the absence of life. So what I think is really beautiful about this, and you can view the ego in this way, the ego only has space to exist where there is the absence of your higher nature. And this is really important to be aware of because often what happens when we're feeling self-critical, when we have a negative self-view, a maladaptive core self-evaluation, this is when your ego is taking over and it acts solely in self-interest and it feels like it's all-encompassing and all-consuming. 
But in these cases, when you feel that your ego has taken over, it's clouding your mind. Maybe you feel the imposter syndrome, it's really strong. The self-doubt has taken over. All you have to do is consciously make space for your higher purpose. And there is a quote that I love. It says, if our chalice is full of self, there is no room in it for the water of life. I love that. Could you repeat both quotes? So the first one was the ego only has space to live. When? The ego only has, oh gosh, I have to remember what I said. <laughs> the ego only has space to exist when there is an absence of higher nature. I think that's what I said. Don't you love it when you're in flow <laughs> and you say something like, oh, I wish someone recorded that. <laughs> it was beautiful. Uh, and then, and then yes. the second thing you said was so beautiful as well about the, the second one. If mm. our chalice is full of self, there is no room in it for the water of life. And I think that's so powerful because that's what ego is. It's self. It's me, me, me. How am I appearing? How do I compare? And that idea of me, I, that's the ego feeding itself. You're feeding that, that wolf. Now, the other really interesting thing, the way that the material world, the education system, the way it's set up, it's almost done in a way to condition us from an early age to develop our ego to feed that evil wolf, to pride ourselves on our accomplishments, to seek to be better than others, to compete, all for the sake of self-importance, success, power, and significance. But a lot of people, they believe that's what will bring them happiness. But as we all know, it absolutely doesn't. So a lot of people at this point then say, okay, I want to eliminate my ego altogether. But it's important to understand that complete and entire elimination of the ego would imply perfection which is unattainable, but we need to be consciously feeding the good wolf within us, redefining the relationship we have with the bad wolf and recognizing when that ego is loud. And it's usually in the face of challenges because that's when the ego feels threatened and it triggers a reaction that undermines our capacity for growth. So how do we do this, right? What, you know, this is the, the third strategy. How do we actually quieten our ego so that it's not clouding our judgment, make space for that higher purpose, higher nature? Mm -hmm. And it's around asking yourself questions, conversing with yourself. And so the first question that I encourage you to ask is, which wolf is speaking to me now? Which wolf am I feeding right now? Because when you get stuck in a particular way of thinking, if you're not doing anything about it, you're feeding a particular wolf by omission. So you ask, is this my ego? Is this my lower nature talking? What is it supposedly trying to protect me from? How can I converse with my higher self instead? How do I use this as an opportunity to grow, to learn? How do I see this rejection as redirection? How do I make my decisions more aligned with being of value? And this is how you create room for your higher self. Now, fascinatingly, research has found that when you're in those emotional states, where you're feeling the imposter syndrome, the frustration, anxiety, whatever it is, simply going through this process of self-coaching, if you like, can re-engage your prefrontal cortex and reduce activity in your amygdala. Because your amygdala is often what's activated when you're feeling the, the negative, unpleasant emotions. So simply asking yourself these questions re-engages your prefrontal cortex, but also reconnects you to your higher purpose. What is my purpose here? Why am I on this planet? How can I be of service to others? And you shift focus away from you and onto being of value. And it can be incredibly powerful. So that third strategy, if you like, it's not, you know, these are not as simple as hacks. Hey, do this. And tomorrow you will overcome your imposter syndrome. Unfortunately, anyone who says that is just trying to get you to buy something or sign up to something or, you know, and it feels good when you get it. Cause you think this is fantastic. This will change my life. 
But we know the stuff that really changes your life is the inner work. I came across this beautiful quote the other day. It said, it was something like, do the inner work first and you'll find that you will do your best work always. And I loved it. So this is, this is what we're talking about. So again, just a summary, this third strategy is to become aware of what's going on in your mind. What are your wolves doing? What's the interplay between these two? And how do you ensure that you're giving more space to your higher nature? Because that helps you reduce your feelings of imposter syndrome, reduce your feelings of self-doubt, have more of a sense of value in what you bring and be able to take action. Love it, Shade. That's amazing. So let's do a quick summary of the three principles. So the first principle is to ask yourself the questions to evaluate your high core self-evaluation. The second is rewriting your life story. And the third is choosing to operate from your higher nature. Asking yourself the question, which wolf is speaking to me now? Beautiful. I love these three principles. And uh, thank you so much for sharing them. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a look at the questions that have come in from the audience. And Bianca, who is um, our community manager working behind the scenes. Bianca, let's bring up the following. So I'm looking at the questions. And uh, those of you who are here live with us, you can participate as well. Feel free to vote up the question that you would like answered. Let's start by bringing up Zuzana Yankoyova. And Zuzana, I'm going to give you a chance to come live with us and ask your question to Shade. Hi, Zuzana. Nice to see you. Firstly, tell Hi. us where in the world are you right now? I'm in Caribbean in Guadalupe. Guadalupe. Oh, Guadalupe. You're in Guadalupe. That's so cool. Okay, so go ahead and ask your question. Okay, I would like to know your advice because I see my gifts. I have opened my spiritual gifts. I help the people. I really enjoy love myself. And I went through so many hard life situations for years. But I find out the way how to work with myself. It showed so many goals in my life. I see my purpose. I also communicate with my soul and I have connection on God. So I see where I am going, I know I appreciate who I am. Just still, there is some feeling of big fear when I want to do some new step. This so strong in myself. So I help, I would say, some steps because I find out within my life what is helpful for me, how I can do steps. So Susanna, I, am, Susanna mm -hmm. I apologize. You have a beautiful accent, but it's a very strong accent. I'm going to read out your question. Okay. okay. As you typed it in so that anyone hearing can understand, okay? Because that's really important. We must make sure that the thousands of listeners listening can understand. So the question that you typed in, Zuzana, is this. I see value in myself. I'm aware of my unique gifts. I'm thankful for where I am and who I am. And I know and I feel I will achieve what I desire. But still, I have some fear and insecurity in myself. I feel that I would have achieved more. I have a tendency to compare myself to others. What is your advice for this? What a beautiful question. Thank you for asking this one, Zuzana. Hope I said your name correctly. So I think it's beautiful that you have this self-belief, that you're aware of your gifts, that you're thankful for where you are. So this is wonderful that you have this as a foundation. You mentioned there is still some element of fear around doing things that are unknown to you. And I'll tell you what, that's completely normal. That's because it's something new. You've never done it before. Feeling a little bit of doubt is not unnatural. It's not something we need to run away from. We just need to learn to redefine the relationship with that doubt and see it as something that's making us aware of 
opportunities to grow, opportunities to perhaps prepare ourselves a little bit more than we have, gaps that we might need to fill. So, so much of this comes down to, again, what you're telling yourself. If you allow that fear to completely hold you back, you need to ask yourself, what story are you, are you telling yourself about this situation? So going back to strategy number two around the theory of narrative identity, how have you defined this situation? And importantly, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of failing? What's the worst thing that will happen if you fail? You'll learn. I think you were going yeah. to say something, Georgiana. I would say that uh, I have success. So maybe I would say that there is some fear if I have enough experience or maybe if I'm enough known that can I help people if those people will come to me? Maybe something like, like this, yes. Yeah, so it can be helpful to reflect on what is it that I fear? What am I trying to avoid? And what is within my power to help myself move forward? And this is where we can start. And you can start to redefine those stories to remind yourself that, hey, you've got a wonderful track record of success. How do you bring those strengths with you and apply it to whatever is next for you? Thank you. Thank you, Sade. And thank, thank you, Sana. And now we're going to go on to the second question that got a ton of votes. Bianca, could you bring on Sanjay Matra? Now, I really picked Sanjay's question because it's, it's quite intriguing. We've spoken a lot about psychological principles, but Sanjay asks, Shade, what are spiritual practices that you would recommend for each of these four principles? So uh, Sanjay, I'd like to bring you up in honor of your question so you can interact with our guest today. Hi, Sanjay, lovely to meet you. And what a beautiful question. I'm so glad that you asked this. So I, uh, my view is that, oh, please. Thanks, Shade. I've been following you on Instagram for one whole year. And oh, wonderful. Now, so thanks, uh, Vishen, once again, also. So actually, it's connect between Vishen's teachings and your profound analysis with all its uh, plethora of manifestations, which you just presented. What is the perfect fit in terms of uh, what are the meditative practices that can actually crack uh, self-esteem, self-efficacy, uh, emotional stability, and uh, internal locus of focus? The locus of control. Wonderful question. How do we bridge the gap? Because what we've talked about is very much psychology based. Right. If you think about it, my view is that everything is spiritual in nature. Everything is spiritual in nature. Psychology and science just helps us explain it in a way that makes sense to the masses. So the way to think about this from the perspective of spiritual practices, it's going to be different for everybody. But in my view, prayer, prayer reminds you of why you're here. And again, that's going to look very different to everyone. But the idea of prayer is it's communing with some unknowable essence, some unknowable source, the universe, God, mother nature, whatever that is for you. That gives you instant perspective because you realize there is so much here beyond what I see and what I feel. But the other one is also just meditation. The power of meditation. We could talk about it from a scientific perspective and you look at what it does to your brain, but from a spiritual perspective, Meditation, I'm pretty sure the research supports this. Meditation quietens that evil wolf. It quietens your inner critic. It quietens your ego and allows you to reconnect with your source. It allows you to reconnect with that higher purpose that you have. And so this is about finding what works for you when it comes to meditating, but there is so much power in that. So I would encourage everybody here, if you're, if you're this way inclined, tap into the spiritual essence that drives you. Find a way to meditate, to ask yourself, why am I here? What is the purpose of my existence? Because if you can't answer that question, you're going to struggle with happiness, fulfillment, success, all the above. 
bring it back down to that question. Thank you for the beautiful, beautiful question that you ask, Sanjay. Thank you. It's wonderful to meet you too. So we now come to the end of our podcast. For those of you who are listening, I've shared the notes, my own personal notes and what I learned from Shade. I've pasted them on Insights. Just go to insights.mindvalley.com. If you are a member, simply click on the tab that says new and you'll be able to access those insights. For those of you who are tuning in, you can follow Shade on Instagram at Shade Zarai. It's S-H-A-D-E-Z-A-H-R-A-I. Shade Zarai. She is incredible to follow. Go check out her Instagram. It is filled with so much wisdom, so many ideas on peak performance. Shade, thank you so much for joining us. I also want to give everyone listening your website so they can learn more about you. Again, it's shadezarai.com. S-H-A-D-E-Z-A-H-R-A-I.com. And with that, we come to an end of this episode. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.